You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. What is good, New Song students? Yo, how many of y'all like that bumper? That goes hard. I want to play that in my Jeep rattle the windows. Um, Man, I am just so excited and honored and humbled to be up here with you all tonight to be able to share a little bit about some spiritual disciplines. Um, I don't know if any of you guys are new, if you haven't gotten a chance to meet me, my name is Eric Williams. What's up? I'll definitely be out there playing Jungle Pong if you want the smoke after service. Just let me know. I don't think I've maybe won one game. I'm not that good. But Uh, I want to tell you guys a little bit about me. I was born on the other side of the turnpike in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Have y'all ever heard of Tulsa? Yeah? So, but I grew up on a tiny island on St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands in the Caribbean. And no, it was not like Pirates of the Caribbean. We didn't have to climb palm trees to get coconuts and survive. We didn't sleep in a hut on the beach No, we had a Walmart, we had a Kmart, we had Wendy's and McDonald's, and we had a movie theater. But I wanted to show you guys what I looked like when I was y'all's age in high school. So how many many of y'all know who Justin Bieber is? Hey, I love Justin Bieber. I'm a believer. And he's a believer. Believer's a believer. And so back, back when he got popular, this was like, I think I was eighth grade, ninth grade, he had like the long, you know the flowy hair, and so that was the trend, and I was like, yo, I gotta do that too, but I'm half Venezuelan, so my hair doesn't just fall like that, it's very curly and thick, and so what I had to do was I had to put a hat, I should have straightened it, but I didn't think about it, I put a hat backwards, and I would just have hat hair, I wore the same hat every day for all of eighth grade and ninth grade, I probably should have changed up the hats, but so this is what I looked like when I was in ninth grade. Look at the waves. Look at the tsunami waves in my hair. So basically, like, if I took it off, I could only take it off for, like, two minutes before I had to, like, put my hat back on and keep the padding. But I'll show you guys what I look like if I wasn't allowed to wear a hat. Say it was, like, a formal event. This is what I look like. It's a little blurry, but it was, like, all curly and ruffled up. Basically, I got the blue shirt. I was sunburnt, so I got red skin, red, white, and blue. I look like a bomb pop. I think that's what I thought I looked like. Um, but moved to Oklahoma City, went to Edmond, Santa Fe. Where are my wolves at? Any wolves? What? We have, no, you will. Yeah, Austin will be once he gets to high school. We have some Santa Fe wolves. Where are they? Oh, well, there they are. Wait, are you at Santa Fe? She's going to. Okay, speaking it in faith in the future. All right, so went to high school at Edmond Santa Fe, went to Oklahoma State, where I met my better half, Ashley. Where's, give it up for Ashley. Where'd she go? There you are, front row. Sound out. So I wanted to show y'all a picture of me and Ashley. And yeah, that, I think that this picture like summarizes our personality. We're very adventurous. We were out in Yosemite, California. If you guys haven't been, if you love nature, you love adventure, or like national parks, go to Yosemite. So we were like trying to get in there as early as we could and take advantage of the day. So we're like, we'll just brush our teeth whenever we get there. So that is Ashley. And guys, we've been at New Song now for a year almost, coming up on January, which is crazy. 
Time, I don't know if it's flown by. I think it's flown by. It feels like, yeah, we were only here a few months ago. So, been at New Song for almost a year, and we are just so thankful to call New Song home and to call you guys our family. We love getting to serve with you all, getting to do life with you. And real quick, can we just give a shout out to Pastor Jackson and Haley? Give it up. Being, being here on Marlo's birthday, what? That's awesome. Dude, Jackson, we are just so thankful for the way that you lead this house. We have seen the growth in youth ministry all to your obedience and God moving in and through you. So we're thankful and honored to serve here with you and serve under you. So, yes. Yeah, so, and on top of that, I wanted to shout out you guys too. I want to shout out New Song students. Ashley and I have been a part of a couple different youth ministries together, and you guys are special. Like what God is doing in your lives, what God is doing through New Song students, it is evidence that we have a God that wants to move through your generation. And like we've said it before, I've said too many, there's too many Christians that when it comes to youth, when it comes to a Wednesday night or when it just comes to church, all they do is just show up, they shut up, but they never grow up. And it's been amazing to see that you guys, like we talked about our word for last year was pursuit. And you guys have pursued and grown up spiritually. And that's what we want as youth leaders for you all to literally help you become disciples, right? So the way I like to think about it, one of my favorite quotes is this, if you give someone a fish, they will last for a day. But if you teach someone how to fish, they will sustain their entire life, right? So you might be here on a Wednesday night and you might be forced to be here. You might be here because it's fun. It is fun. You might be here because your friends are here and that's the only reason. Either way, you're here. But you might, you might just get a good message. You might maybe raise a hand in worship. You might share a little in small group. And then you go home and it's almost like nothing's changed. You go back to the same lifestyle, same decisions. And in, my, in one way, you're just coming here and you get the fish, right? You get a word, might get some prayer, but that's it. But what I love about New Song students and why I want to shout you guys out is that not only are we teaching you how to fish, you guys are intentional and invested in learning and saying, wow, I want to learn what it looks like to be a disciple. To where whenever Pastor Jackson, your leaders, when we're not around, you guys can operate and walk with God fully, independently, knowing that we did our part to teach you guys how to fish. So that's what I think about when it comes to discipleship. We are teaching you how to walk. So, um, Again, I just want to shout you guys, and as we get ready to dive in and lean in to what, what God wants to do in your life. So we are in week two of real life, right? Week two, learning about spiritual disciplines. Notice disciple and discipline. They go together. Disciple and discipline. And I love that we call this real life. That Well, first of all, I want to say that, that right, Pastor Jackson spoke on this last week. We don't need these spiritual disciplines to be saved, right? Jesus has already done the work for us. He lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved, defeated death so that we could be adopted back into the family of God, that we could be saved, set free, and have this new life. And I love what Galatians 2.20 says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So one thing that I loved is that we see here that not only did Jesus die for you, but he died as you. Jesus didn't just die for your sins and for what you do wrong and for what you messed up in. He died as the old you. That way you can be a new creation and you can walk in freedom and this new life powerfully. And so 
Um, I want to say so, but how many of us know that when we give our lives to Jesus, right, when we raise the hand and we, come, we might come up for altar ministry, that's not the end. That is just the beginning, right? And so this series is called Real Life for a reason. There's too many, I feel like, Christians that come to church and they don't take this seriously, right, guys? This isn't a game. Like, we're, we, like me, Ashley Jackson, like, we're not here because we're bored. We're not here because we just want friends, I, we have friends, I think. I think we have friends. But, guys, we're not here. And we don't get, I don't get paid. That'd be cool. I, I'm just kidding. But we are here because we know that real life, this is not a game. There is an enemy out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything you are, everything that you have. He wants to destroy your future, your identity, your family, your friendships, everything. And the enemy knows that if he can get into your thoughts, if he can distract you, if he can keep you from paying attention and going on social media or texting the person next to you, even though you're right next to the person, he, if he can distract you, then you will miss out on what God wants to do in your life, right? And so I don't know about you guys, but that gets me fired up. Like I get heated because I'm like, I don't want the enemy to take me out. I don't want the enemy to take any of y'all out. I don't want him to do that. But how can we fight the enemy when we don't know how? That is where spiritual disciplines come into play. That is where the training happens. So Navy SEALs and Marines, we've got, where's, where's, uh, where's Justin? Hey, raise your hand. Everybody give it up for Justin. Hey. Size. So what I want to touch on, when we think about Navy SEALs or Marines, guys, they go through the most rigorous training you can imagine. I don't know if you've seen YouTube videos, but those guys are hardcore. Like, they go through months of being broken down, of challenge, of growth, of having to be taught, like, not just, like, how to train your body and mentally fight through this pain, but when it comes to the analytics side, when it comes to missions, when it comes to so many educational sides, these guys have to go through months and months and months and months and months of training so that whenever they get to battle, they know what to do, right? And in the same way for us spiritually, how many of us want to get to a battle in life and know how to conquer it and know how to defeat it? I know I do. I don't want to get to a point where the enemy is messing with my mind or he's doing something in our marriage or he's doing something in our life or he's doing something around me and I don't know how to fight it. So in the same way, these spiritual disciplines, they, um, they, they help train us to be able to live those lives of purpose, of impact, of favor, of wisdom. You say it with me, of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Shout out to Threshold. That, that helped me learn those. Um, so God wants so much for you all, right? God wants so much for you, but it doesn't happen without these spiritual disciplines, the training, the growth. He wants to see how do you handle salvation? How do you handle this freedom, this new life, right? Be faithful with the little. I will entrust you with more. But if all you do is raise a hand and then just chill and sit, go home, play video games, or go home and just mess around on social media, that's not going to help you grow, right? So I invite you guys all to lean in. Let's focus and apply these spiritual disciplines as we start this series. So with that said, let's pray over tonight and invite the Holy Spirit in. So Father, thank you so much for tonight, for this time. God, thank you for how much you love us. God, you love us more than we love ourselves. And so God, we can't help but sit in your presence and learn about more of you. 
God, what you want for us. So God, I pray that you speak through this message tonight, that your word, your truth is revealed, God, less of me and more of you, that we can learn about these spiritual, spiritual disciplines and how to walk them out. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we're going to focus, who's got their physical Bibles? Uh, hey, we got one. We got one. Hey, we two. Two. Uh, here, I got two. I got two. Can I get three? Three. Can I get three? I got to, I'm going to get four. Four. Four in the back. Okay. All right. Who's selling cattle? Um, okay. So before we get in, we're going to be diving into Mark chapter four. But before that, I have a question for y'all. How many of y'all like winning? Yo, I love Winning. You get me in sports. You get me in Catan. Have y'all played Catan before? That game goes hard too. I love getting competitive and I love winning, right? So if we love winning, I have a video I actually want to show you guys. And I want you guys to focus on the crowd, okay? I want you guys to focus on the crowd, see what they do whenever, you know, they realize they've won, okay? And so we'll probably do like, we'll do a couple of the clips and then, and then we'll, we'll just go through it. We'll see. All right. So everybody look at the screen. Nine-tenths left. Ooh, close game. Of three wins the One series. second left. It's Lillard. He got the shot off. Hey. All right. Game winner. Down by two, too. That was bold. They could have sent it to overtime. But he decided to go for the dub. I love it. All right. So we saw the first clip. Now look at the crowd. Rose trying to get open. Fires away. Bang. It's over. Mm, that sweet, sweet victory. I love it. Are you guys kind of picking up on it? Like, do you think hey, all the people in the crowd know each other? They, they all know what Jesperson. to do whenever they win? Oh, I heard that, I heard that song. <laughs> I didn't know you said that. All right, we'll do one more, one more, one more, and then we'll call it. All right, so make sure and focus on the crowd. I wish we had one of OKC Thunder. I love it. All right. So, can someone just show me? You guys just show me. What did they do when they knew they won? Bam. Hands. Oh, I did not expect that much reaction. That's sick. Guys, do you think that they had to think about what to do when they realized that the ball went through the hoop? And so, okay, we, we got the three points we needed. So, that means we won. So, if that means we won, then I got I to gotta put my hands in the air and, and tell people, hey, I think... Yeah, we won? Okay, let's do it. They didn't, they didn't think about it. That was their automatic reaction. That's the universal way of showing that you have won, right? And so how many of you all want to live a life of victory? How many of you all want to live a life of winning? I know I do. And guys, God wants us to win. He has plans for us to prosper. He has given us the spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. He wants to make our path straight. He has given us victory over temptation, battles that we'll face in our lives. God's undefeated. He's undefeated. I don't want to go up against God. He's never lost. He's never lost at all. But here's what's interesting. When we think about winning, I want us to be able to discern, be able to understand the world's version of winning and God's version of winning. There is a huge difference. The world's vision of winning might be money. It might be fame. It might be popularity. It might be accomplishments, possessions, success, good looks. That's the world's version of winning, right? But I even asked our group meet today of all the leaders, I was saying, guys, what are some areas of your life or just life in general 
where God wants us to see victory in. God doesn't care so much about the money, the external. God looks at where? The heart, right? He looks inside of you. So what are areas that he wants us to have victory in? He wants us to have victory, be able to have peace over depression and anxiety, to have freedom from addiction, to be pure sexually, to be restored, to be healthy physically, to be to be restored in our family and friendships, our relationships, to have victory over our emotions, victory over comparison, victory over mental health, victory over uh, trauma. Maybe you've really gone through something incredibly tragic and hard that has not been easy to overcome. That stuff does stick with you. And that's what I love about spiritual disciplines is God understands that. He doesn't just say, all right, just give it to me. All right, well, no, this is a journey. This is a process. Victory over unrealistic expectations, false expectations, lies that we're believing, distractions, right? God wants us to have victory in those lives. And when you guys think about it, when you live this life, that's what matters. Money, looks, accomplishments, like, yeah, that's, that's okay, but that is fleeting. The word says that that is deceitful. It is perishing away. Just as we watch the leaves fall off the trees, that stuff falls too. It will not last. What lasts is in here in our souls, in our spirits. And so what's funny is what the world says to do to win in life, God calls us to do the opposite, right? So he goes against the norm. So some examples, Matthew 20, 28, the world would say we need to conquer and dominate others, but God says we need to serve others. The world says we need to take from others and receive. God says we need to give to others. The world says we need to put ourselves first and be selfish, but God says to put others first and be selfless. The world says we need to speak and act first, but God says no, we need to listen first. God says that the world says you need to, or sorry, the world says you need to compare yourself to others, but God says to encourage and support and cheer them on. And then lastly, the world says to seek revenge, but God says to forgive others and pray for them. So I have another question for you guys. Going back to the sports, the basketball, with the victory, we go back to what we do with our hands when we win. What do we do when we worship God? We put our hands up, right? We put our hands in the air. And so what are we doing when we are worshiping God with our hands in the air? What do we call it? We are, this is a sign of surrender. surrender. Huh? Victory. Surrender and victory. Isn't that interesting? The opposites. Right? They're opposites. We're saying, God, I give you all that I am, all that I have, and I let you take control. God, I give you everything. God, you win. I can't win on my own. God, I need to give this to you. I want you to take control. God, I surrender. So that is the first spiritual discipline we're going to focus on tonight, the spiritual discipline of surrender. And another way you can say it is submission, the spiritual discipline of submission. So what, they're, they're synonyms, they go together. What does submission mean? So submission is the act, the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. And guys, if God created you, if God knew you before you were informed in your mother's womb, I'd say God is superior. He knew you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows your desires. He knows your flaws. Can I tell you guys that you are fully known? Yeah. Nothing surprises God. Everything that you keep, everything you keep hidden, yeah, don't look at me. Everything that you keep hidden, God sees. And he's not shocked, right? He's not, he's not, whoa, my gosh, whoa, you're doing that? 
What? Uh, God knows, and you are still fully loved. There is nothing you can do to lose God's love, and there's nothing you can do to earn more of it. So that is what we're going to be talking about. So what I want us to focus on tonight is not just the spiritual um, discipline of surrender and submission that we do in worship or in small groups where we give God some of our time, some of our worship, prayer requests, or attention on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning, but that, and then we go back home and just live the same unchanged lifestyle. Tonight, I want us to look at the spiritual discipline on how do we truly live lives, a lifestyle of submission and surrender. Lives where we say, God, I want to live for you. I want to know you intimately, make you known, and shine your light to those around me and help others see Christ through me and through my life. So I love what Matthew 10, 38, 39 says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You submit and give your life to gain it. And guys, we know this, this isn't easy. It's a discipline. Like It's not comfortable. We wanna hold on to everything because that's what we know. It's what we're used to. And so I want to share a little bit of story about when I came to Oklahoma City, I grew up Catholic, right? Wow. Um, I grew up Catholic, and I know everybody's experience is different, but for me, it was very rule-based. It was very, you have to earn your salvation, you have to earn your forgiveness, and that's it. And so whenever I came to youth, I was a junior in high school, almost 17 and I finally got to see what a relationship with Jesus looks like and what a life of surrender and submission looks like after you give your life to Christ. And can I tell you guys, my whole life changed. Before that, I was living in comparison. I was living in insecurity. I was always trying to feel like I'm not doing enough to make people laugh or I'm not good enough in sports or I'm not smart enough in school. It was just this constant battle of like, I don't know, I, I, I can't. I'm not good at anything. Like, it was literally a, a cycle. And when I finally saw that Jesus wants to take me and use me and to fill me up and then pour me out to others around me, use me as a light, I was like, all right, God, can't wait. Let's do this. I want to live for you. And so going through high school, getting plugged into small groups, diving into the word, learning what prayer looks like, what worship looks like, how to serve, how to lead, God was able to use me in ways that I couldn't have ever used before. I was so scared to speak in public. I was super scared just to do anything with new people. And so through that, God was able to use me. And it was so cool to see the growth and the impact of what God can do through you when you say yes. That's all it is, is saying yes. But here's the thing. I started to notice as I went through junior and high school and senior year, one of the biggest frustrations for me was that the church, we are known as hypocrites. Like that is, that is a harsh truth. We are known as hypocrites rather than being genuine, authentic lights for Christ that people can be attracted to, feel loved by, and not judged. And I think it's because of that. When we raise our hands, give our lives to Christ, and that's all we do. There's no emphasis on what happens after. What does discipleship truly look like? And so Pastor Josh said it this past Sunday in James that the world will know we are his disciples by our fruit by the way that we love each other, when we can show physical evidence to others saying, here's what God has done in my life because I've lived a life of surrender and submission. So I know we're imperfect. 
We're not gonna be, we're not gonna be Jesus after we give our lives to Christ, right? We will always have issues that we're working on, but when we can commit to giving our life to Christ and surrender our lives to him, all that we are, he will change us from the inside out. But so many of us don't take that next step. I like to say it's kind of like you're going to a doctor, right? You're sick, you may be injured, and then you go up to the doctor like, hey, here's my problems, what, 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 what do I need to do? And then the doctor's like, okay, you need these, you know, this medicine, or you need to do this when you get home. All right, doc, I got you. And then we go home, toss it to the side. We go do stuff we're not supposed to do, only to get worse. And then we question like, well, what happened? I don't, well, I don't, I, I went to the doctor. I went to church, but I didn't see any victory. What's going on? And so it's no surprise that like we are not applying what we're learning, right? And so the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over in your life and then expecting a different result. And so I don't want you guys to miss out on what God wants to do in your life. He has so much he wants to give you, but we have to surrender and submit. Not go half in, half out. God, what do you want? Oh, you, you want me to, to grow in my purity, my sexual purity? Um, mm, no, I'm okay. Guys, that's not how this works. Commitment, all in, submission and surrender. So I'd say one of the best examples of this is a life of daily surrender and submission were the disciples, Right? Think about this. You were, you know, I think some were as young as teenagers, like high teens, mid-teens. Some of them could have been, some of them were married, had kids. So imagine you have your life, right? This is, I'm going to do me. This is how I, I'm a fisherman. I can, I know how to fish. I can provide for the family. I know what to do. And then this guy, Jesus, comes up and says, hey, everything you know, everything that you do, everything that you think you are, I want you to drop it. Come follow me. That's uncomfortable. That's like, uh, mm, really? Yeah. So the disciples, they did this, right? They did this for three years, every single day, learning, growing, listening, slowly being molded into the men of God that God had called them to be. But it wasn't easy, right? Jesus calls them out all the time. I rebuke you. Hey, that wasn't right. Hey, let the kids come to me. Can you, like, that's uncomfortable, man. But look at the impact that they had. So one thing I want us to focus on as we head into Mark 4, think about a microwave Christian and an oven-baked Christian. This is one of my favorite analogies. Because of our society, because of our culture, if we want something, we want it now. We don't want to wait. We want prosperity. We want it now. We want to thrive. We want it now. We don't want to work. We don't want to work. So imagine putting a cold pizza in the microwave. I like the deep dish. You guys like the deep dish pizzas? I love the deep dish the pepperoni. So imagine putting a deep dish pizza in the microwave for a minute, right? You open it up. Ooh, ooh, it's hot. Hot on the outside, right? Ooh, it's hot. But what? On the inside, in the middle. Sucks. Icy, cold. And in the same way, how many of us, we come to youth, we come on a Sunday, we give our lives to Christ, and we do our thing, but we don't do anything with it. We might be hot on the outside looking like, man, God is good. Hey, I'm spiritually great. But on the inside, we're cold, hurting, haven't done anything because we haven't given it truly to God. We haven't surrendered and submitted that. So God calls us to be oven baked, hour and a half in the oven. You have to preheat the sucker. You're hungry. I know, I, I know how it goes. You got to preheat. I literally, like me and Ashley at night, was like, oh, I want lasagna. That's going to take like an hour. What? So, but that's how God calls us to. He's a God of journey, of process. So Mark 4. 
Let's go ahead and read it together, 1 through 20. So he went back to teaching by the sea. Jesus did. A crowd built up to such a great size. We don't even know how many people were here at this time. That he had to get into an offshore boat, using the boat as a pulpit or a stage. Excuse me. As the people pushed to the water's edge, he taught by using stories, many stories. Y'all know them as? Hey, good stop. All right, so Jesus says, listen, what do you make of this? A farmer planted seed. We have talked about this recently, so y'all should know this story. Farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road and birds ate it. Some fell on the gravel. It sprouted quickly but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled among the weeds and nothing came of it. Some fell on God on good earth and came up with a flourish, producing a harvest exceedingly, exceeding his wildest dreams. Think about that. We want to be the good seed and good soil. And so moving on. Um, you're good. So Jesus says, are you listening to this? Are you really listening? And I love that he calls that out. Are you paying attention? Are you really invested? Are you really listening? On to verse 10. When they were off by themselves, those who were close to him, along with the 12 disciples, so Jesus' core, asked about these stories. He told them, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. But to those who can't see it yet, everything comes in stories, creating readiness, nudging them toward a welcome awakening. These are people whose eyes are open but don't see a thing, whose ears are open but don't understand a word, who avoid making an about face, a confrontation, and getting forgiven, right? So he continues, do you see how this story works? All my stories work this way. The farmer plants the word, the word of God. Some people are like the seed that fall on the hardened soil of the road. No sooner do they hear the word than Satan snatches away what has been planted in them. And some are like the seed that lands in the gravel. When they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. But there is such shallow soil of character that when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there is nothing to show for it. The seed cast in the weeds represents the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with the worries about all the things that they have to do and all the things that they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. Verse 20, but the seed planted in the good earth represents those who hear the word, embrace it, and produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. So here's what's cool. Jesus speaks to the crowds. He speaks to the thousands of people, right? But when it comes to the disciples, they have that closeness, that relationship, and they can ask Jesus after, hey, what did you mean? We don't understand. I, liked, I was that kid in high school that if I didn't get something, I was straight up with the teacher, especially the ones I did like. I was like, um, te- teach? I don't, I don't get it. Can you go over that again? And I see the same thing in disciples in this moment. The disciples are like, um, Jesus, we don't, why did you say that? We're not farmers. We're not farmers. Why are you telling everybody about seeds? And so here's what's cool is Jesus explains. He takes the time to go over what he talked about. And so I want you guys to look at this, um, this next piece, take a picture of it, write it down. So 
Not yet. So here's, what, here's what's cool. The crowds were attracted to Jesus. They would hear that Jesus was in town. They want to come see him. They want to hear what's going on, right? The crowds were attracted to Jesus. So whenever Jesus spoke, he would give the crowd a glimpse, a glimpse, right? Here's some teaching, right? I'll share a parable. He would heal some people. He would love them, set them free, let them know that God loves them and he's provided for them. And they, but there was something reserved for the disciples. There was more for the disciples. And the distinction between the crowd and the disciples was surrender. The crowds were attracted to Jesus, but the disciples were surrendered to Jesus. And because they were surrendered to Jesus, they had access at a greater level. You guys have access at a greater level. They had a friendship with Jesus. How many of you guys have a best friend? Raise your hand. I would hope that we all do at some point. If not, let us know. Me and Ashley will be your best friends. But there was a friendship. There was a closeness, a relationship, something organic. And that closeness only comes from surrender and submission. And through that lifestyle, they were favored, they were blessed, they were filled with purpose, with joy, with life, with love, spreading the gospel, setting others free. They won because they lived a life of surrender and submission. So that's the question. How can we do the same? How can we live a life of daily surrender, daily submission? How can we operate in a way that people see Jesus through us? And so I have five points that I want you guys to take away with. Number one, know your identity. Know it. Know your identity. Know that your identity is not about what you do, but who you are. Because who you are will determine what you do. I'll say that again. It's not about what you do, but who you are, because who you are determines what you do. And when you know whose you are, you'll know who you are. So who am I? Who are we? I want you guys to know you are fully known. You are fully loved. You are seen. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You are healed. You are strong. You are free. You are set apart. You are alive. You are new. You are complete, you are powerful, you are courageous, you are a child of God. You know, that's your identity, know that. But as Pastor Jackson talked about last week, like, or was it Pastor Josh, but he basically said the enemy knew that Jesus was the son of God. They knew that, but there's more to it than just knowing it. Because when stuff happens and crap hits the fan, you're gonna wanna not just know it, you want to, point number two, embrace it. Embrace your identity. Romans 1.16 says, for I am unashamed of the gospel. So don't just know it, embrace it, believe it, commit to it. Let it change you from the inside out, your thoughts, your behavior, your actions. So that whenever you're on a basketball court, whenever you're on a baseball field, whenever you're in the gym for gymnastics, if you're a software developer, wherever you're at, letting that identity become how you operate, how you act, how you think, how you talk, how you behave, that is being able to embrace your identity. Point number three, focus on your identity. Hebrews 12, verse one through two, talks about how we are, therefore, Hebrews 12, is it up? Tight. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, 
for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, the scorning its shame, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what does it look like to focus on our identity? I love that aspect of thinking about a race. Have you guys ever ran on a track before? You got the lanes, right? How many, I, I, I did a little bit of track, a little bit. Um, if you look at a 100-meter dash, if you look at a 200-meter dash, whenever the sprinters get off and start their race, they don't even pick their head up to look forward till halfway in. It is like, that's like proper training to be able to get as much speed. They're not focused on the people next to them because they know that it's all about how fast you run, not your ability to look over and you can't touch them because that's cheating. Yeah. So they have their, they got their head down and they take off, keeping their head down focused, focused, focused and looking at the prize, trying to win as fast or run as fast as they can. And so here's the problem that I see with too many Christians is we want to run that race and focus on Jesus and daily surrender and submission, but all of our mistakes, our issues, our addictions, our imperfections, the things that we go back to whenever we're uncomfortable because we don't want to run to Jesus wholeheartedly, it's almost like we're starting our race backwards. So imagine everybody next to you is lined up, ready to run after that line, and you're trying to win with them, and then go, and then you're running backwards. Are you going to win that race? Absolutely not. Or you might be running the race. You might be doing good, man, three weeks, four weeks. We're doing solid. Okay, uh-oh, it's late at night. I'm, uh, I'm tempted right now. Or, uh-oh, they're gossiping at school, and I have some inside news. I've got some tea. I've got some tea. And then they, you turn around like, oh, what's, I missed that. I'm, I, whoop, trip. Being able to focus on your identity is saying, I'm keeping my, my eyes on the prize. I'm not turning my heads. I'm committed all in. And guys, can I tell you, consistency is key. If you guys want to get better at something, you don't just do it once every two weeks. You don't do it once a month. Every single day. Every single day. So point number four, I don't want to go too long. Meditate on his word. Joshua 1.8 says, therefore... Since we, oh, Joshua 1, yeah, since we are surrounded, oh, that's not it. Joshua 1.8 says to meditate on God's word every single day, every single night, so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Meditate on that word. And we have talked about it, meditating. We're not talking just like the crisscross. We're talking about whenever you guys get in the word, that you guys are taking that time to say, God, what do you want to say to me? And if you guys are questioning what to read, Bible plans. Say that you're struggling with anxiety. Do Google. That's all you got to do is Google a Bible plan on anxiety. I know for me, my struggle was if I didn't get in the Word for 30 minutes, then I wouldn't just get in the Word at all. That was my struggle. And so can I tell you guys that God speaks in five minutes of a quiet time the same way he does in an hour. One way that I love to do it is like if I don't have much time, 30 seconds of prayer, two seconds of reading, maybe read through the chapter, read through the passage, Maybe jot down your notes and your thoughts, and then 30 seconds of prayer, boom. But obviously, we want to get to a point where we have more time with God. So I love this analogy. We talked about it in small group, five-finger analogy. So if I were to hold my Bible up with one finger and someone were to come up and slap it out of my hand, would they do it? Yeah. Two fingers, right? Two fingers, it's a little more stable, but could you slap it out of my hand? Yeah. Three fingers, can you still slap it? Yep, four fingers, it's actually really stable, but could you still slap it out of my hand? How about five fingers? I got the thumb down, 
sucker's gripped. It's not going anywhere. Hearing the word, why you guys are here tonight, you're hearing the word, studying the word, being able to get in the word, do your own quiet time, whether that's for five minutes or an hour, memorizing the word. Um, so what is it? Sorry. It is reading. Yeah, reading. Sorry. Reading the word, hearing the word, studying the word, meditating on the word, and then applying the word. And memorizing scripture, that's a big piece. So when you do all five of those, that's how you truly treasure the word in your heart to where it affects how you live your life. And my last point, number five, authentic, genuine, real prayer. A lot of times we can pray before dinner. We might pray before bed, which is good. But guys, prayer, what is it? Prayer is a conversation with God, right? It's a real conversation. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious uh, about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. So I love, whenever I was walking into a, a moment where I was nervous, a game, uh, a class, maybe going over to someone's house, whatever it is, just having a quick time of prayer to say, God, use me. Let me be a light in this moment. Let me be a light in this conversation. Let me be a light in this interaction. That this is not just a one time before dinner or before bed, but every single day. So what I love is this daily prayer of submission. So when I was at OSU and after, I would put this prayer on my mirror. And I want you guys to do the same too, if you can. Um, basically, I'll share it with you after service. It says, God, it's I choose today to submit my whole being to you. I submit my mind to you, God. Give me the mind of Christ. Help me to think on things that are excellent, admirable, and pure. Give me the power to think on things consistent with your truth. God, I submit my ears to you, that I may only let into my soul that which is consistent with your truth. Give me the wisdom not to let lies in, but only to believe your truth. God, I submit my eyes to you, that they will only look at things that are pure. God, I submit my mouth to you, that my words will be pleasing to you, that they will bring you glory in what I say and build others up. God, I submit my heart to you, acknowledging that it is deceitful in all ways. So God, give me a pure heart. My motives be pure to serve you and bring glory to you in all that I do. God, I submit my hands to you, that they would be used to build people and to build your church and to build your kingdom. God, I submit every part of my body to you today. My life is yours. Use it how you see fit. And so I love that because that is basically me starting out my morning, my day, saying, God, I'm surrendered and submitted to you. So use me how you want to. And if you guys are hearing this and you guys are thinking, ah, oh, that's a lot to ask, Eric. I can't do all that. God isn't asking for perfection. He's not asking you to, to be qualified. He's not looking for who's the best well-behaved candidates here and that's what I'm going to pick. God picked David the least of the 12 brothers, the least, the least likely to succeed. So he's just looking for those who are willing and available. You don't have to fix yourself before you approach this lifestyle. Say yes to God and watch the change start to happen. Like I didn't give my life to Christ until I was 17. And what God has done in and through me in my life is far beyond what I could have ever done on my own. And he wants to do the same thing for you. And so what I wanted to finish with tonight is my all-time favorite verse that I put on my Insta bio, Philippians 3, verse 7 through 12. And it says this, 
But whatever were gains to me is now considered loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so as you guys go into small groups, let's get real, okay? Let's, let's talk about how you personally can live a life of surrender and submission to God. What areas do we need to submit to him? Because God won't move in the areas that we don't give him access to. If we wanna get better, we have to surrender and submit it. Not just on a Wednesday night, not just on a Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle. Surrender and submission is a lifestyle. So let's pray.